0: I'm Ben Hong, and today on our panel, we have Ari Clark. Hello. And Tessa.
1: Hello.
0: So today we have another panelist episode. And today we're going to talk about this little concept known as NextTick. Now, full disclosure, I've been working with a lot of different Vue apps for the past few years, but I have personally never had to use NextTick in any of my code. And I've heard a lot of people talk about it. So we thought it would be a great episode just to sort of chat about what this is because Tessa and Ari are resident experts and can't wait to learn from them. So <laughs> with I feel that. like you're
2: overselling us. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so yeah, so I guess let's start from the very top. Like, what is NextTick?
2: Okay, NextTick is a built-in part of the Vue API that allows you to specify a callback that will be called after the next DOM update cycle. Oh. Which sounds so, very fancy.
0: <laughs> yeah. How does that look in like just like simple like in code? Do it would I call this in like created or like where would this you can call it anytime
2: you need to ensure that the DOM has updated. So for example, if you've just changed some data within your component and that data will have an impact on what is rendered in the DOM. Mm-hmm. And you need to wait for that to be rendered. You would use next tick to execute a callback.
0: So if I were doing <laughs> this in like the uh, like on a method, is it like this dot dollar sign next tick, or how would it be? Yes, mode?
2: you can. That is one way to use it. So that would be the local version. But there is also a global version that's just view dot next tick. But in most cases, you will likely be using the local version. So yeah, dollar sign next tick, and then you will pass it a function which you can specify inline or otherwise
1: and the difference there with the global one is that like i think a lot of the functions in the source code where there's like a version of the function that's on the view objects that then gets proxy to all your components on that dollar sign namespace maybe that's not the right word but all the native methods that have dollar signs in front of them basically the local version of next tick, the this.dollar next tick, you'd be calling in your component. The global version accepts the second optional argument, which is the context. And basically, the way that these methods work is if you call it from the component, it passes the this context by default into the global method. All this is to say basically that the only difference between the local versions and the version that's on the view object is that the local versions pass in your current component by default. I hope that makes sense.
0: Yeah, I think yes. so. Yes, <laughs> at least it made sense to me.
2: And
1: also, um, one other nice thing is that if you don't pass a callback to next tick, then it returns a promise. So another another form of syntax you could use instead of passing a callback into next tick is to use async await with next tick. So you would await next tick, and then put whatever you want to
0: do after that line. Got it. And so, when it comes to next tick, you know, we've defined it as something that you need when you want to sort of do something once the the DOM has been updated. But you know, where has this come up in you know both of your experience where you were like, oh, like this is something I should reach out to? Because normally, right, like the Reactivity system handles everything so well that, like, at least for me personally, like I have never ran into a situation where I needed to. Do this, so. I'd be curious what like scenarios you all ran into as far as needing the next tick.
2: Sure. I can actually give you an example from my production app where it's used. So let's say you have a scenario where a form is only rendered with a VIF. Now, when that form is rendered, you want to be able to focus that first input programmatically. But you have to make sure that that input exists before you can focus it. So, one example I do is on the mounted lifecycle hook. I will use next tick to focus the desired input once it's actually in the DOM.
0: Oh, yeah. Otherwise, you can
2: run into a race condition where it sometimes exists and sometimes doesn't.
0: What about you, Tessa? I, I heard that uh, you gave a pretty awesome talk at Vue Toronto on this.
1: Well, I don't know who you heard that from, but you should probably sever that relationship because whoever told you that. <laughs> it was me, Jeez. <laughs> we really must have just missed each other.
0: Awkward turtle.
1: Yeah, I've mostly seen and used NextTick in tests for like a similar reason. Although I suspect that since they were unit tests, maybe we weren't, like we were writing tests in a situation where we didn't necessarily want to be writing tests where we needed next NextTick. I don't really know. But my impression from looking at the tests and also like when I was, whenever I was like, oh, is this a next tick problem? I feel like mostly, like I mentioned uh, before we started recording, was that I feel like a lot of times for mute, next tick is just like, I have a problem and I'm like, oh, I wonder if this has something to do with the DOM not updating when I expect it to. I'll throw in a next tick there and see if it works. Oh, it doesn't work. <laughs> okay, never mind. Um, a lot of other developers doing is like, Oh, this next tick isn't working. I wonder if I just need to throw in two next ticks or like combine next tick with a set timeout. Well, my test is passing now, so it must be fine. Stop so calling like, me out. <laughs>
2: I was like, I don't know
1: what's going on here. So I looked it up in the docs and it said defer the callback to be executed after the next update cycle. And I was like, great, that tells me nothing. Um, so my main experience with NextTick is just trying to break a bunch of stuff with it and use a lot of different combinations. And like my main takeaways, if I'm remembering my own talks correctly, <laughs> were that i I had assumed that NextTick runs after like the changes are visible on the browser or whatever. But I think that the DOM update that it's talking about is the virtual DOM. And then the other note there was that. Every next tick that's at the same level, meaning like it's not nested in a set timeout or another next tick or a quest animation frame or something like that, they all run at the same point in time. So if I have three next ticks in a row, it's not like I'm going to go through three update cycles. So if all of them are updating the the same value, then kind of similar to CSS, whichever update is the last one I run is the one that's going to actually go through and... Check the DOM or change my data or whatever. It's not going to change it three times. Yeah. So there's some deduping going on there. That's
2: intense. Yeah. I'm actually I'm looking at two unit tests right now where one of the unit tests, I I tried next tick, it did not work. I ended up having to use a set timeout of um two milliseconds. <laughs> But it worked, <laughs> and then the next one actually does use next tick and apparently successfully. So. <laughs> but I remember, I remember trying to nest next ticks on the one that I ended up using the set time. <laughs> and in that particular instance, it is testing if the correct component is displayed after clicking a button, and it's a VFVL else situation, and. Yeah. So I I guess maybe it's just I honestly I don't know, but it worked. <laughs> but yeah, usually next tick, you're gonna be using it because of some conditional rendering. Got it. In most cases. Yeah.
0: And so in the event that we we're talking about like this chaining, so let's say a form embedded within a form. So you have your click a button and then the V if shows a form. And then you need to click another button to V if show another form. So if we need to chain these, then are we is what you're what you both are proposing is that you run the next tick to ensure the first form renders correctly and then after, so you don't nest the next tick inside of the next tick you just then you run your click function and then initiate another next tick. So just the key thing is not to nest them right You can still put them line by line. So I'm thinking of the async await method so if it's like async mounted, it would be like you know click button and then like await this dot next tick and then like click button and then await this dot next tick and then like verify all the inputs show up. Does that make sense?
1: I'm not 100% sure. Like, It sounds like you're saying you want to click a button and then have a change and then click a button and have another change. Yes. And I feel like what's going to end up happening is that both buttons will be clicked and then both next ticks will run. But I think also like what will happen if you nest them, which I could also be remembering wrong, is that they'll still end up running within the same period. So I wouldn't nest them just because I think the behavior is confusing and hard to predict. And okay. like, I mean, like I'm saying now, I can't even remember if I, if I remember. <laughs> but you can go check out my talk from ViewConf US. Was it last year? Last year. To Technically see two years ago.
2: Two years ago. Technically okay. the one before the last one. <laughs> <laughs> the one in Tampa. Yeah, yeah, the one in Florida. Just look up
1: that one. <laughs> <laughs> Not that there's that many next TikToks. But yeah, I, I broke down a bunch of different ways to nest next tick, but basically because they all get lumped together in certain periods, in certain um, points in time in the event loop. So I think the way that the timing works out, even if technically there might be two updates, it's not going to the outcome is not going to be what it sounds like you might be expecting with your pattern. Yeah, which is also why I kind of prefer using the await syntax if I know that I need multiple things to rely on the next tick because to me, visually, it looks a little bit more like the order in which things would run with next tick in the event loop.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, if we will be sure to link to Tessa's talk in the show notes because that will definitely be great for people to check out.
1: Great. So nobody (laughs) can figure out our really boring (laughs) mystery. (laughs) Yeah,
2: so I... I'm not, I'm honestly not sure what would happen in that situation, partly just because if I'm being completely honest, I have used Async Await twice and it was for the two tests that I just talked about. (laughs) Um, I was raised on promises. They just, they make sense to me. So I continue to use them. I realize that they're essentially the same, but for some reason, I don't know, the Async Await syntax just confuses me. (laughs) Yeah. I'm thinking if, if we were using promises, you yeah. can definitely nest promises to ensure an actual synchronous execution because that's really what you want in that situation. Right. <laughs> Even though like it's async, but you need the async to be synchronous. synchronous. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's it's weird, but I've had to deal with that situation before. It, it was callback hell. It was like promises nested, I don't know, like five deep. Oh, ugly coat. Yeah, but it works.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough.
1: Yeah, I remember. I ended up trying to make my own permissified version of NextTick because I'm not sure if I'm remembering right, but I think like it's not venable if you pass in a callback unless you're like expressly returning a venable from the nextick, and so then I couldn't consistently try to get that chaining behavior, mm. but. Yeah, I also, already found async await really confusing in the beginning, and it wasn't great on promises. But I was like, oh, I kind of get promises, and I actually started using async await specifically because I was trying to figure out next tick. And once I switched over to async await, like everything I knew about like traditional promise style just went out the window.
2: Yeah, I guess because uh, I come from a full stack background, and promises mm-hmm. are the sh- <laughs> <I didn't know laughs> or at least they were. I just, yeah, it's stuck. I don't know. I Change is scary. <laughs> <laughs> Fun with async, yes.
0: Yeah. So as far as next tick goes, is it something that you recommend people only sort of reach out to when they find that they're having this sort of limitation as opposed to like something that like, oh, like now that, you know, for example, now that I know I can like manually control when, you know, so timing of things, is this something you would only recommend when like things start to be inconsistent or sort of when should I use this?
2: Uh, this, this is one of those. <laughs> so it's sort of like how people describe um, state management. You'll know when you need it, <laughs> which is <laughs> so not helpful at all. But yeah, essentially when you start to see like that things aren't happening when you're expecting in terms of an update, it might be a good thing to explore. I'm not going to say that every time it's going to be the right tool, but it's definitely one that might solve your problem, but it might not. Like Tessa said, sometimes I also (laughs) will just try it and it doesn't work.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I feel like it's like when you have one of those bugs that like putting in a console log fixes it and then taking it out breaks it again and then you put it back in and take it out and now it's fixed. Like who really knows what's going on? (laughs) I Um, have
0: definitely experienced that firsthand.
1: But I think what you were talking about earlier in terms of timing, I feel like that might not necessarily be the safest way to think about it, in my opinion. Like The main functional reasons I've heard to use it are what Ari called out right in the beginning about wanting to focus in the form or something as soon as it's loaded. So I feel like NextTick is really good for if you need to update something about your component data or behavior based on when something changes in your template. But if it's more like you want to make sure visual changes happen in a certain order, I haven't really played with this much, but I feel like request animation frame might be a better friend there. I agree with that. Who doesn't tell you false lies about Vue or whatever.
2: (laughs) (laughs) There's one other uh, scenario where I personally am using it and there may be a better way to solve this problem entirely, but every once in a while, I need to essentially trigger something in an event like way on a child, which I still haven't figured out the best way to do that. So I'll just you know pass a prop down that's either true or false. Now, the problem is, is if you said something to true and immediately set it to false, it actually never registers that it changed. So, In that situation, you would set that property to true and then with next tick, then set it to false because that ensures that the update is registered before it is then changed again. Because I had that problem where it just was... That was the first time I used next tick actually was for that scenario. You want to pass
1: to a child a true value and then immediately take it back?
2: Yes. Essentially, the child is looking for the true value in order to start something. Oh, okay. Okay. Like in this case, it was uploads.
1: They're <laughs> so quite
2: gaslighting the child, but almost, <laughs> <laughs> almost. Because I, I, like I've never quite you know events up makes sense, but I've never quite figured out how to do events down. So well, it's sort of a a stand-in for that. <laughs> I heard someone here has like an ex- expert
1: workshop on prop patterns to children. Maybe, maybe they could weigh in this mystery person.
0: <laughs> yeah. I didn't know who you're talking about. <laughs> I mean, you bring up an interesting That's point though. Is, all right. As far as like, so you're, so if I understand correctly, you're saying that you need to basically quickly send an event to a child to start something, but yeah. then basically take it back. So almost like you're setting the prop true and then immediately well, send an event.
2: Okay, fall. I guess <laughs> I don't know how to listen to um, parent events in a child. Maybe I'm missing something,
0: but <laughs> yeah. I
2: really don't know how to do that. I'm not sure you can because events like, bubble like, up.
1: Yeah. So you use like view global events or something. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that's basically, that's like not really what you're saying.
0: Yeah, that's basically <sighs> the event bus pattern, which we don't recommend doing.
2: Yeah, right. Yeah, so like, I guess this is a yeah. another way to do that. Honestly, like the value doesn't even have to be like a true or false, and, and it would probably be better if it weren't.
0: I'm I don't trying know. to wonder if you <laughs> like if you VBind bind a prop that like passes down to the child, and then so when the child is like created or I think it was mounted when it receives the actual the props, then if you check for it, kick off whatever you need, then have it emit immediately an event that's like turn off prop or whatever. To the parent? I wonder if that would trigger. Let's say that there are multiple children. Oh. That all need to key off the
2: same value. So like in this uh, particular example, you've selected multiple files to be uploaded. Yeah. And now you want to actually start the uploads. Oh. So that's how I'm using it in that context. So I don't know how many children there will be. There may only be one. There may be four. There may be 10.
0: Gosh. Yeah, that's a tricky pattern. I'm gonna have to think about that. One. I know. Yeah, but I mean, I think it's great that you figure out a way to get that to work.
2: Yeah, it does work.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think that's just some, it's one yeah. of those things
2: where like it works. So I'm not gonna touch it again. Fair
0: enough. Fair enough.
1: Yeah, I guess as long as you know your hot reload process isn't slow, just try it everywhere, see what happens.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so based on that joke, I'm guessing that this that next if used improperly can cause performance issues. Or not quite.
2: I honestly have no idea. Yeah, I don't know. I thought I
1: thought part of the appeal of frameworks was you like the performance issue conversation is kind of Yeah. We don't talk about it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's it's taken care of.
1: It's lifted out elsewhere to like people on the core team. Ben, what have you heard about the performance issues?
0: <laughs> <you? laughs> nice, nice turnaround. <laughs> oh, how the turntables.
1: Um, I thought I heard (laughs) earlier that the props get filled and mounted, but I thought they were filled and created. So I just wanted to... Yeah,
0: that's one of those things where I keep... I always have to like refresh my memory on where the lifecycle what gets what. Um, But you might be right. Um, I just sometimes flip those in my head mentally.
2: I'm not gonna lie, I can never remember it. So most of the time I just use mounted because I'm like <laughs> feels like the safer one. Most things are probably there.
1: <laughs> yeah, I feel like probably a lot of the time if you if you tried to use next ticket and created, you wouldn't have a good time just because there's like no DOM to next yeah.
2: off yeah. of. Would not recommend.
1: Yeah. Wait, no. <laughs> Actually it might it might get delayed until right when mounted runs cuz there is when you first create a component or sorry when a component is instantiated on the dom there's like a next tick that runs at that moment and there's no way that you can get in between the the component being created and that next tick that runs and then all your next tick stuff will run after that one so it will still wait properly i'm like looking yeah. at
2: the lifecycle diagram <laughs> in the docs right now <laughs>
1: Oh my God, maybe we should do an episode on one of those one day because like updated, I can never figure out when updated is supposed to run and also <laughs> that error Same. one that no
2: one uses. Okay, so it yeah. looks like updated is after the rerender. But I swear, I've tried to use updated and it did not behave at all like I was <laughs> expecting. So I was just like, nope, giving up on that. I'm like, well, I changed something in the component.
1: Why isn't update running? Update, update.
2: Oh, you know, I think the one time I did try to use it, I was doing something else really dumb, so (laughs) I think it truly was not updating.
1: (laughs) My favorite is like when I'm like, well, I want this thing to run when the component is updated, so I'll just put it in updated because that makes sense. This will not result in an
2: infinite loop. No, sorry. (laughs) Yeah, I think I've done that too. (laughs) Like, I was like, oh yeah, no, that makes sense. (laughs) So yeah, honestly, I don't think I use the updated callback anywhere. Cause I just find it easier in general. If I need side effects based on something that updated, I generally go for the more granular approach and use a watch on whatever I actually care about. That's okay. the same thing. I care about anything, but I'm a nihilist. No, I'm kidding.
1: <laughs> <laughs> there is a little part of me that like feels a little dirty. Every time I have to create a new watch property on my component, I'm like, do I really need a watch?
2: Yes. Oh, okay. So I'm not the only one. Yeah, literally every time. I'm like, surely there's a better way. But sometimes it I mean it's there for a reason because sometimes it really is the most appropriate thing. But I'm with you, Tessa. I feel like I'm doing something wrong every time.
0: (laughs) If it works, that's what matters.
1: Ben's just judging this on the inside, but he won't say it out loud.
0: No, you know, it's then how do you feel about it? You know, I think honestly, all code is compromised to one degree or another, and a lot of times the watch while it can feel a little hacky is actually quite explicit from a developer perspective. Because you know that like there's a reason that a developer is calling on this specific property that needs to be tracked, and so yes, maybe in the future you'll discover that this can be refactored into a certain way. But it is nice in the way that it's a little bit self-documenting in that like you're saying this one part of the component, pretty important. Please like do this thing while this happens. So. In that regard, I think it's actually a benefit too. So,
1: yeah, I guess that's why it feels a little dirty is because like I have to do a little bit more of the work myself explicitly and manually than I feel mm-hmm. like a lot of the other options in the component.
0: Yeah. I mean, like one of the things that's reminding me of is like, for example, in View 3, one of the things you're actually going to be able to do on your components is actually define events the way you define props. So, giving it sort of like basically sort of explicitly defining it to users so they know that like that they're going to be emitting these events with like certain things. And so to me, the watch is just kind of like, it's like an extension of that concept of like, these are things do within it. Keep an eye on these things. Again, it just sort of maps out the component API just a little bit more explicitly. So
1: so if I'm understanding correctly with Vue 3, if it comes out, basically if I follow the style where my JS is at the top of my single file component, then uh like, Open it. I'll see right at the top like what props it accepts and also what events that I have decided this component will emit.
0: Yeah, so it basically allows you to document the events. At least that's again that's what's currently in the plan.
1: That will tie in really well with like the the perspective we discussed maybe a couple of episodes ago with like concerns about the props down events up paradigm and how some developers are worried about the explicitness of documenting that API somewhere. We should mention
2: that Tessa was playing devil's advocate in that episode. She doesn't actually <laughs> hold that stance. <laughs> so I think that sounds like it'll be a really good development for you, Tessa, in terms of arguing against the pattern none of us particularly
1: loved. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. so we recently had an issue where a component, it was being passed a callback, but the callback needed if I'm understanding correctly, it seems like the callback needed to be able to handle multiple situations. But because we have this pattern of passing the callback, it has to be a magical function that can handle multiple methods rather than just listening to the event that's coming out. But I, I didn't yeah. look at the myself, so it could easily be an oversimplification of the problem.
0: Sure. Cool. I mean, that,
2: I, I can think of scenarios in my own app where if we had gone with passing down a callback, it, <laughs> it would have been a lot messier than just handling an event in the parent. Because, yeah, sometimes you use the same thing in a very specific but also <laughs> reusable way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like we
1: wanted to track if, if an input was changed or like if it was changed and being saved and those were like disparate somehow and there's like disparate callbacks, but they might be used. Together or separately, depending on the parent. But because of the callback pattern, yeah.
0: Well, I know this has been super helpful for me, uh, just as far as you know, having never run into the next six problem. But now I know if I ever run into weird bugs and also need to like cue something like a focus immediately on a conditional rendering, so it's the next six something to definitely check out. So thank you for explaining that today. Do you two have any like sort of final tips as far as the next ticker stuff goes before we wrap up the episode?
2: I will say it does not always work. For example, if you have heavy animations, like Tessa mentioned, you're probably going (laughs) to want to not use it because you actually can't guarantee that it's rendered. (laughs) Mistakes I've made.
0: But then you all mentioned request animation frame might be the next thing to start looking into. Yes.
2: Yeah, I guess. Uh, Full disclosure, I've never done that. I just use long set timeouts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bad developer. What? And honestly, it doesn't, no, but it doesn't work every time. It doesn't work every time. Okay. I remember, oh, yeah, I, I should, I should, I should uh, like, A few uh, months
1: ago, I had to like make a progress bar with like a recursive set timeout or something. And I was like, well, why would you set timeout?
2: Tess is better than the rest of us. Maybe
1: <laughs> okay, it's better because I was like, oh, I haven't used recursion in so long. This would never have occurred to me. Who knows?
2: You haven't lived until you've used a recursive set timeout.
1: <laughs> in an updated lifecycle hook. Huh?
2: <laughs> I've never done that. <laughs> Just kidding. Totally have. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and my favorite is if you use a console log within that recursive set timeout whoo, the spam. Uh,
0: never done and computer 101.
2: Uh, Yeah, no, I (laughs) I have literally crashed the browser doing that. (laughs) Especially if you use like a set timeout of like five milliseconds.
1: (laughs) Don't recommend. I was just going to share my main takeaway, Ben, since you asked her and already gave her answer. Is that okay? That's
0: what I was going to say. I was going to say, Tessa, what do you have for us?
1: I thought you were going to ask about our picks.
0: Way to be presumptive, Tessa.
1: <laughs> I just want to make sure that I can get in there and steal yours before you have get a chance to say it. Yeah, I guess my main takeaway is if you need a series of discrete changes visible on the DOM, then you probably want request animation frame. And if you just know that you need something to happen after the data on the DOM has changed, that's when you want to use NextTick. That's a great summary. Hope so. Hope it's right. Good luck, everyone.
0: <laughs> use with caution. Seems to be a big banner under all of this. (laughs) All right. And now with that, it's time for us to move on to this week's picks. Tessa, what do you have for us this week?
1: So a couple weeks ago, Hannah Gadsby's new special, Douglas, came out on Netflix. And it's pretty funny, especially like the art history section. She points out details in these old paintings that I don't know if, if I went back in time and I was in art history class, like I would have noticed those things, but she's right. They are very weird. And it's really funny <laughs> to look at them in this lens of like, what was the artist thinking there? Uh, so let's pick one. Pick two is I've been reading this book called Managing Up by Margaret Abadge, I believe. And I'm only part way through the book. I didn't really know what to think about it. Like I found it when I was through a Google search and it just seemed like you know your typical light business book, but within the first few chapters, like it's pretty clear that the the voice in the book is very plain spoken and just very practical, and so I find that really an interesting and effective. Okay, I just I realized I was going to sound like a robot. I think that she presents the information <laughs> in an efficient and effective way and for example one thing that really hooked me in the beginning was she said that the skills that you need to manage up are the same skills that you would use to manage down mm-hmm. and like on principle i feel like that that statement is maybe not that accurate for me or like not quite nuanced nuanced enough for me if i'm thinking about it from the perspective of somebody who would be managed or someone who's doing the managing but in terms of the perspective of, okay, you're an employee and you need to be managing up. What do you want to do? I think that that is potentially like a helpful and practical lens to look at things through. Like it's, it's again, efficient. So yeah, those are my two recs.
0: Awesome. Ari, what do you have for us this week?
2: It's going to be two sides of the same coin. So I'm going to recommend Queer Eye. Season five was released recently. If you've never watched it, you are seriously missing out especially if you love shows that make you feel deeply. (laughs) Because if you can watch every single episode of Queer Eye without crying, you may want to work on your empathy. I'm just like, I'm I'm sorry, full judgment there. (laughs) But also I cry really easily. So maybe I'm just trying to excuse that. (laughs) So there's the regular Queer Eye, but there was also a special limited series, Queer Eye, We're in Japan. The first episode, have Kleenex ready. It is intense, but it is so worth it. So yeah, Queer Eye and Queer Eye were in Japan.
1: Also. Yeah, I liked that in season five, especially they they showed a lot more of what Karamo does and also like yeah. how his role has kind of evolved as the show went on. So I really appreciated that, especially because I thought in, in the other more recent seasons before five, his air time was kind of getting shorter. And I was always like, what did he do in this this episode? Yeah, the Japan one was interesting as well. And I, I think the, the reviews of the Japan epi- episodes were also very interesting. I never read them.
2: But interesting yeah, like, how, now I'm curious. <laughs>
1: oh, no, just looking at it through like the cultural lens of like I'm an Asian or I'm a Japanese American. I haven't seen any from like the Japanese, Japanese side, but the Japanese American side was definitely
2: interesting. I think hmm. somebody
1: else wrote one being like, I'm an Asian in Asia, but they weren't Japanese. And that was also interesting. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I. For me, it was, it was very interesting just to see the cultural differences. And I thought that it was very appropriate of them to have a cultural translator in addition to just a translator, because yeah, I, I never realized just how culturally different Japan is from the U S but I can see how, if you didn't know a lot of those things, you could have looked really bad. (laughs) As an American, there. <laughs> so I'm probably never going to go to Japan because I'm afraid of looking like an idiot.
1: Yeah, I remember I was really, when I was watching, I was really struck by all of the makeovers and how he managed to make like American style interior design that somehow fit within the Japanese space, like physically. I don't know about emotionally, not emotionally, but something else, like context wise, but it was, it was interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I'll
0: definitely have to check that one out then. And then as far as my picks for this week, given that you know a lot of us are still sort of in that quarantine mode. For those who have wanted to explore baking and stuff, one of the hardest things I know I've had an issue with is that like usually hard to find like space to like knead dough and stuff. And so, yeah, you can do like a cutting board, but it's kind of small. You don't really want to do it on the counter because then you have to clean it and then it might be dirty. And it's just like, then you're rolling your dough and it's like, ugh. So... <laughs> are you a bread guy? <laughs> I'm not a bread guy, but I have been baking and sort of doing stuff more with dough. And so I found this thing this, uh, from OXO. It's a good grip silicone pastry mat. And so it's like, got a decent area size. You just, like, it's dishwasher safe. You just like, roll it out. And then you can just... It has like, measurements and stuff. And so it's really cool. Um, good for uh, working with dough. Sort of impromptu create like a clean workspace for yourself. So definitely recommend that. And then as far as my second pick, uh, it is the awesome Tessa, who has actually provided some really great sort of picks and finds for me this week. To which, uh, so the first one is Hey.com. So in case you haven't heard, there is a new opinionated like email platform that sort of the founder of Rails and Basecamp, Diego, if you are on Twitter a lot, basically came out with. And so they basically said like, email is like has been the same forever. Like, what do we put like this really opinionated like sort of thought process over it? And so as a productivity nerd, like it was super huge. We had to score an invite. So thank you to Tessa. For that, it's really great. So I will uh, honestly, I think it's it's actually I, I've done a little bit of the onboarding and it's I'm already starting to see the benefits of it. So I'll try to do like more of a thorough write up or maybe talk through it, maybe on the stream or something. But definitely seeing everything what I've seen so far is really promising. So really excited for that. And then my second one is a pick because I'd love the author to get more pre-orders. It's a book that Tess also recommended. That I think it's Henry is the one who I think mentioned on his tweet who is the maintainer of Hubble. And uh, it's a book that I believe her name is Nadia. Um, it's called "Working in Public: The Making and Maintenance of Open Source Software," and just sort of talking about I think I believe she like talks to different open source maintainers and sort of gets their take on what it's like to have your work be so publicly visible and like the 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 ins and outs of that sort of lifestyle of like the critiques, the comments, and like how how one manages that. And so, you know, obviously having being in the Vue community, the super open source, I, I'm very curious to see what what kind of discussions are happening with that? So, you know, whenever that does come out, it might be a fun topic to make on the episode about So, the ins and outs of open source. Cool. And with that, thanks everybody for listening. And until next week, enjoy the view. This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Linode with 11 data centers worldwide, including their newest data center in Sydney, Australia, enterprise grade hardware, S3 compatible storage option, and their next generation network. Linode delivers the performance you expect at a price that you don't. Get started on Linode today by going to linocom view.